Were you guys ready to get into God's word this morning? Come on, I have been, I've been enjoying uh, this time in God's word as we've been moving through the book of Revelation. And what Jesus is saying to the churches has radical application for, for us in our lives. Jesus, it tells us in Revelation, John is getting a, a vision of Jesus and, and Jesus is speaking to seven churches. Someone say seven. Someone say seven. Seven, as you know, represents completeness. And Jesus, therefore, is speaking to not just the churches that were there at that time. You know, there's a church in Ephesus and Smyrna. He's also speaking to the complete church. The way I like to say it is these, these seven small C churches in speaking to these seven small C churches, Jesus is actually speaking to, you know, the capital C church across all time and in all, all history. And so Jesus in, in these letters is speaking not to just those churches, he's speaking to you and I. He's speaking to churches today. And he gets really, really practical with the churches. But today, in particular, I think there's some things that Jesus says to the church that are very, very important for us to hear. And I'm gonna say this, this this message kinda comes with a warning label, okay? Like some of this stuff is hard, some of this stuff's hard. Some of this stuff gonna make you squirm a little bit. Some of this stuff you might look and go, you might get get mad at me, don't get mad at me, because this this is God's word. And my job is just to give you God's word. And so as lovingly and as carefully as I, as I can, but also as, as, as boldly as I can, I'm gonna lead you through what Jesus says to the church of Pergamum and, and show you how we are in the same danger that they were and how we too are called to not fall into it. And so hold on and love me through this. Deal? Someone say Deal? God, we pray as we get in your word today that you would speak to our hearts and, and God, you'd help us to, to hear from you, God. We, that's our ultimate desire. Jesus, thank you that you send out your word to accomplish and it accomplishes what you send it out to do. And God, we open up our hearts to, to let you do what you wanna do inside of us. And so speak to us now in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone agreed together and said a good hearty. Come on, church, amen and amen. Well, Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, church of Ephesus. He says, hey, don't lose your love. Come on, don't lose your love. Remember what it was first like to fall in love? Keep it there. Keep it afresh in your love for Jesus. To the church of Smyrna, he says, hey, I know there's a lot of pressure on you right now, right? Don't fear the pressure. Don't give in to the pressure. Don't, don't fear it. And to the church of, of Pergamum, you ready? I'm going to lean in today. Here's what Jesus says. He, says. he says, don't get caught in the current. Don't get caught in the current. Tell your neighbor, say, listen, neighbor, neighbor, don't get caught in the current. Come on, tell them, don't get caught in the current, in the current. Pergamon was a, is a beautiful city. Matter of fact, it's, it's the, it was considered at time, that time to be the greatest city in Asia, and therefore, it was the capital city in Asia. It was the cultural center of Asia, and it held at one time a, a library. It's the largest library at that time in the world, uh, a library of over 200,000 parchments. And so this is a very cultured city, very beautiful city. It's, it's the capital city. I always, I always think, like, like anyone seen Hunger Games? Come on, Shane, like, are we allowed to say that in church? Okay, yeah, listen, like in Hunger Games, the capital city, this is what this reminds me of, Pergamum. It's like the, the capital city of all of, of Asia Minor. It was also uh, not just a very um, uh, studied city, it was a influential city. 
It was a city that also studied uh, alternative medicine. And so the Greek god Eucalyptus, Eucalyptus, it's not Eucalyptus, I promise you. Eucalyptus was introduced there in the fourth century, in fourth century BC. And so he would, they would open up in, in reverence to or in worship of this, of this Greek God, they would open up kind of like these healing centers, okay? And people would come from all around to these healing centers to be healed. And, and this Greek God was actually seen holding a staff with a serpent wrapped around the staff. And some actually believe, and it's very easy to make the connection that the, the symbol we have today for medicine comes from this this Greek god that was first worshipped here in Pergamum. And the, the, the way that these healing centers would work, like you would never catch me in one of these healing centers. And so I know, just like PC wouldn't go there. Like just so you know, it's okay everybody. Like I would never go there. Not just because it was to a false god, but like the way that they believed you would get healed is they would let snakes loose, like everywhere. And so you would stay the night with snakes just kind of everywhere They'd be crawling around on you in the middle of the night and all of this, and it was to promote healing. Like snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Come on, somebody. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. The city was a city that had all this, it was like an intersection of all sorts of different belief systems, all sorts of different worship of all sorts of different gods. Matter of fact, the Greek god Zeus had a, there was a, uh, a temple dedicated to the Greek god of, of, of Zeus. And so it's this intersection, come on, listen very close, of all of these ideas and all of these beliefs. And Jesus shows up to the church, watch this, that's in the middle of all of these beliefs and in the middle of all of this influence. And he shows up to that church and he's got a sword in his mouth. And you're thinking to yourself, like, what does the... Why in the world is the Prince of Peace showing up with a sword? Like, Jesus, why does it have to be a sword? And here's what I want to talk to you about today, church. It's because, church, sometimes peace can only come by the sword. You see, it's the sword that cuts, right? And nobody wants to be cut. No one's like, hey, sign me up. I want to be cut. No one says, oh, you got a sword? <laughs> Use it on me first, right? No one signs up, but, but, but listen. What about when what it cuts is out infection? What about when what it cuts is out cancer? See, no one wants to go under the knife. We don't just, we, we even use that term, right? We don't go into surgery. Why? Well, I just was, just had nothing better to do. Thought I'd go get cut. No. No one wants to go under the knife, but when you have cancer, when you have something inside of you that's deteriorating your life, that's threatening your life, you will willfully go under the knife because you understand that the hurt that the knife is going to cause me is a short-term hurt that's actually going to lead to a long-term healing. And I'll subject myself to being cut if the short-term hurt will actually lead me to a long-term healing. And you see, friends, Jesus shows up with a sword to this church Pergamum because there's some things that need to be caught. You see, he cares so much about the church. He cares so much about you as an individual that he will not, 
God will not ignore the issues of the church. He will not ignore the, the issues and the cancers within the individual. And so he shows up with a sword. Well, what's the sword? What's the sword that Jesus shows up with? It tells us that the sword is coming out of his mouth. And Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word is the sword. That the word of God is the sword of God. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Watch this. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, it goes, you belong here, you don't. You need to be cut out. You need to be added fuel to. You need, right? You see what I'm saying? Out of Jesus' mouth comes a sword, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. Jesus shows up to cut. Why? Why did Jesus need to cut? What needed to be cut away? Well, it tells us, did you read with me? It said that the church was living where Satan had, its, had his throne. I mean, like, how bad does a city need to be that Jesus goes, yep, Satan lives there? I mean, this is getting, some of you are like, man, it's getting bad in California. It's getting bad in our, and Jesus just looked down and goes, Pergamum? Yeah, Satan's throne was there. You know, you meet people sometimes that, like, they see, they see a demon in everything. You know what I mean? Like, like they get a, get a flat tire on the way to where the darn devil Satan, you know, the demon is kind of, you know, like you, you lose your job and you like the devil, you know, the de there was actually, remember the Saturday Night Live, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do that. Like maybe you lost your job because you kept showing up work late, you know, you're not checking your tires and you ran over and it's not the devil. Come on, here's what I'm trying to say. Everybody, the devil is not in everything, but he definitely is in some things. There's, there's a, there's an enemy at work that is behind I think a whole lot more than we realize. Jesus says, listen, to the church, you live where Satan's throne is. And of those guys, listen, Satan has a throne. I want you to notice it's not in hell. Satan's throne was on earth. Now get this in your theology for a second. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4, that our enemy Satan is the God of this age. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through two, call, say that there's a, there's a course or a, a flow, a current that is generated by the prince of the power of this air, which is the enemy that's at work. You see, friends, you need to realize the devil's not in everything, but he's definitely behind a lot of things. And I just want you for a second, just like if we could be honest, I, I think some of us, when we're honest, like we, we know, we know that there's just more going on. Like we, we know that there's more going on than meets the eye when we look at what's happening in our society. We know that there's more going on than meets the eye when you see what's happening in, in current cultural uh, issues, right? What's happening even sometimes within government. Doesn't it just seem, come on, like sometimes there's just a current like there's just an undertow that just kind of, there's an agenda there that there's just no way all of them got together and came up with an agenda. It's just kind of pulling. It's pulling on our kids. It's pulling on our city. Come on, it's pulling on our state. There's just, there's just more at play. And here's what Jesus says to the church. You are actually living where the devil is at play. There's a current. Satan was at work there. 
but God put his church there. God planted his church in the middle of where Satan had set up his throne. Matter of fact, the word dwell, Jesus says, I know where you dwell, and it's where Satan has his throne. The word dwell means this, I love it. It means you put some roots down. It means, it means that, that you were not just living there, you were called there. You, you chose to stay there. I'm saying, listen, you, you chose to not get up and move to Texas. You said to yourself, no, we're not, we're not going to Arizona. I, hey, Florida's beaches are not as good as our beaches. You might like their, come on, but we're not going. You, you put some roots down in a place where there was just a current, where the enemy was at place, and Jesus says, I want you to know, come on, I see that you've put your roots down. I see that you're dwelling in that place, and I, and I know it's not always easy. Come on, I know it's not always easy because there's a current, isn't there, at work. When you show up to work and there's coworkers who don't believe the way you believe and don't see things eye to eye, there's just a, there's just a pool. Come on, there's a, there's a current. I know, come on, in, in California and other places, there's a current that's at work within our, within our school system. There's a current that's at, at work within our state. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm, I know that that current's there. I know that there's a current in the media and there's a current in the influences of your peer groups and there's a current in, in, in what's current. And what's current, what's current? I think sometimes there's a current in what's current. But there in the midst of what's current, God puts his church in the middle of the current, come on, to turn the tides of the current to stand against the tides of evil, to stand against the tides of oppression, to stand against the tides of, of suicide, to stand against the tides of all the lies that the enemy's telling people, to stand against the, the tides of all that would seek to bring people into a place of destruction. God puts his church there. Come on, citizens. I wonder if we got some people who are willing, come on, to put, help me preach this, to not just live here, but stand here willfully against the flow. Someone say against the flow. Against the flow, against the flow, against the flow. You see, I think God wants to do something through the church. He says to this church, he goes, listen, I know you live in California. I mean, I know you live in Pergamon. I know you live in a place where there's, a, there's a, the enemies at play and there's a big, big current. I put you there to stand against the current, but, but here's what's happening. He says, I, I know you haven't announced my name. In other words, you're going around telling everybody, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He says, I know that. I see that. He goes, but, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. I got one thing against you. I got a couple, a couple things against you. And here's what he says. Pay attention to this and then we'll bring it home. He says, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. He says, repent therefore, 
Otherwise, I will soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus says, I'm glad you're living in this city. I'm glad you put some roots down. I'm glad you're not denying my name. I'm glad everyone knows you're a Christian. But hey, there's some things that we need to talk about. You're actually allowing yourself to buy into the teaching of Balaam. Now, what was the teaching of Balaam? What is Jesus speaking about here? Anyone remember the story of Balaam in scripture? I'm gonna share it with you so you understand what Jesus is talking about. The story of Balaam in scripture is, um, Balaam was a, is a, was a pagan sorcerer. He was a pagan prophet of sorts. And Balaam possessed the ability, he said he had the ability to influence the gods on your behalf. And so he was a prophet for profit, everybody. He said, you pay me a little bit and I'll help you out a little bit. And I, I, he said, I have the ability to go before the gods and I can negotiate on, on your behalf. And so what happened was that the children of Israel were moving toward the promised land. And on their way there, they had to go through this area called Moab. Well, the king of Moab was a guy by the name of Balak. And Balak was so afraid of the children of Israel. He had heard about what God, the God of the children of Israel had done in the other cities and how God was with them. And as they approached the land of, of Moab, Balak calls Balaam and he says, hey, could you help me out a little bit? Listen, I'll pay you if you can get the God of the children of Israel to curse the children of Israel. Balaam says, all right, and for a prophet, I'll go and negotiate for you to God. So they make the exchange, and he goes to negotiate with God. But here's the problem. Every time he goes to negotiate with God and tries to get God to curse the children of Israel, God actually stops him and God blesses the children of Israel. I want you to know, church, listen to me. God wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine. Like God wants to, and every time, every time the enemy was pushing and every time they came up trying to push God to curse his kids, God said, no, we're just gonna bless them. And so, I mean, even to the point when, when Balaam was riding in, his own donkey turned around and said, what are you doing? Remember? And so here's what happens, pay attention. Balaam actually goes back to Balak and he says, listen, God is not gonna curse the children of Israel. He won't. God blesses his kids. But here's what we can do. Why don't you send the, why don't you send the prostitutes from the temple down to where the Israeli army is, where the children of Israel army is, and why don't you have the, the prostitutes seduce the men? And then when they seduce the men, those men will, will, will compromise. Someone say compromise. Someone say compromise. Those men will compromise in this way, and then pretty soon they'll compromise another way. And since the women are from the temple, pretty soon those, these, these men will find themselves compromising in, in, in prostitution with these women, but also be ending up worshiping within these temples. And, and if you could just get them to compromise, then listen, God doesn't have to curse them. Their own behavior and their own compromise will actually begin to deteriorate and destroy them. And that's exactly what they did. Balak sent the prostitutes to the children of Israel. The men of the army gave in to prostitution and 24,000 were led astray because of Balaam and Balak's little plan. Compromise. And here's the enemy's plan from the beginning is if I can't curse them and I can't touch them, maybe I can get them just to compromise because the compromise will hold them. 
He says, you also are giving into the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And Nicolaitans, we believe that that teaching comes from an early church deacon gone rogue named Nicholas who taught the doctrine of compromise. In other words, what he started to do was say, not only are we going to compromise, but now we're gonna use scripture to back up compromise. And hey, it's okay, everybody. You can have a foot here and a foot there and everything's good. Hey, God, God's still okay with all of this. And he was teaching this within the church. Everybody listen. Radical application for us today, isn't there? I want you to know that the enemy can't curse you. God wants to bless you. But compromise, friends, if we compromise, then compromise will always lead us down paths that destroy us. Compromise will always lead us to places we told ourselves we'd never go, always, always lead us to do things we said we'd never do, say things we said we'd never say. Because of compromise. And so what the enemy is going to do is if he can't get the church to be cursed, he's going to get the church to compromise. Do you, do you remember, this is free, I'll throw this in there. Do you remember we talked about how the seven churches represented seven different churches at that time, also seven different church ages? Do you remember that? Everybody remember that? Say yeah, yeah. So if that's true, it's very interesting the first church, Ephesus, represented the church that was there uh, at the, with the apostles, the early church, Book of Acts. And the second church, Smyrna, the persecuted church, represents what is actually in our history, a season within the church where it was persecuted like never before. Fox's Book of Martyrs and all that comes out of that season. Well, after that season came another season, an era, which is like an era of Pergamum. And in that era, listen, the government and the church were so intertwined that the government actually gave gold and resources resource to the church for the church to do the bidding on behalf of a government and the government had gone evil and led the church to become evil and there's a whole season within church history where the church and government were so tied together you couldn't tell the difference and the government was dragging down the church and that's in our history and that's when there came a man Martin Luther stood up against all of it and led what's called the Protestant Reformation the whole point of the Protestant Reformation was to lead a compromised church out of compromise and into healing. And friends, it's still the enemy's tactic today. If he can't curse you, he's gonna get you to compromise. He'll lead churches. Let's start there because that's easy to talk about the church. That's other people, right? So it's, it's other churches, not our church. But he leads churches. He'll lead churches to a place where instead of speaking the truth in love, we choose instead to affirm and to celebrate any lifestyle that anyone would choose. Now, we just open-handedly and in the name of love endorse and accept everything. And I want you to know, listen, you have a culture right now that's trying to convince you that the most loving thing you can do is to open-handedly accept all things that others do and all things that others believe. Come on, if you really love people, the culture would say, if you really love people, come on, you just let it be. Just let people be, just affirm it, just to celebrate it. I told you to hang in with me. It might get kind of uncomfortable, but I took, it, it, this stuff needs to be said and you gotta hear it, amen? amen? Now listen, that's what culture's gonna tell you. But let me in love teach you something this morning. There is right and there is wrong. There is that which leads to life 
and there is that which leads to death. The Bible talks about what's called the flesh. The flesh. Anyone heard that before? The flesh. Well, what, what is Scripture talking about when, when Scripture talks about the flesh? The flesh is it's, it's the appetites and desires within a person that pulls a person from God. Okay? So before you give your life to Jesus, all you know is the desires of your flesh. All you know is just, hey, I just do whatever I want. If God's not in the picture. I just live however I want to live. I just want to, right? But then you give your life to Jesus, right? Come on, you guys know, you feel this inside. You give your life to Jesus and you've got this battle going on inside of you. And the battle is a battle of the spirit of God that's now inside you and your old flesh that's wanting to do what it wants to do. I always say the flesh is the, is the you before God got a hold of you, you. Did that ever show up in your life sometime? Oh, that's the old me, right? The flesh, these desires that pull you from God. You see, flesh, the appetites, the desires to live out my desires. It's, listen, it's desires that pull me away from his way that I might go my own way. There's a problem with that way. And the problem is, it leads to death. Every time. There's no way around it. I, I can't change that, everybody. I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't change the fact that living in the lusts of the flesh, doing whatever I want, when I want, how I want, even what God thinks or not, I'm just gonna do it. Listen, it leads to death. Our history proves it. The history of the nations prove it. Come on, and the soul of the one that is choosing to walk in the lust of the flesh, the emptiness and the hurt and the pain and the frustration and the depression and confusion inside the own individual proves it. Well, God's word has been saying it over and over and over again, friends. Romans chapter eight, verse six says this. The mind governed by the flesh is, what's it say, everybody? Death. But, watch, the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The flesh is pulling you toward death and the spirit of God is going, come on, I got life for you. I got peace for you. And what's so funny is, what's so interesting is the, the very thing that we want, life and peace, we think we're gonna get because the enemy is so good at convincing us I'm gonna get it when I give in to my flesh and do whatever I want. It's gonna give me life and peace. It doesn't. It gives you death. What gives you life and peace is saying yes to Jesus and yes to what's right and yes to what's, what's honorable and yes to what's good. And Jesus, I just want to get you there, everybody. You go your own way. Listen to what scripture says, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man. That looks good. There's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is destruction or the end thereof is death. Friends, scripture says it over and 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 over again. And so, to the church, God says, listen, Pergamum, you're where Satan's at play. There is a current. There's a current. And you got people telling you that if you really love people, what you do is just, you just let them get caught in the current. You just let them do what they want to do. You just affirm and you just celebrate and you just support and you just get, you just, you just let them, you just let them do it. Because if you really love people, if you really love people, you're just going to let them do. But friends, here's the problem with that thinking is that I love people so much, I don't want to see them led into anything that's gonna cause more death and destruction in their life. 
Come on, are you following me, everybody? Come on, I'm trying as best I can to help you understand this. Like, there's this, there's this saying going around, right? It's like, hey, love wins. Like when you just, you just let people just, hey, go, and hey, love wins, love wins, love wins. And I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be ridiculous for a second for the point of making a point, okay? Make sense, everybody? So hang with me. It's ridiculous to make a point. Love, here's the premise, love does not win when fleshly and destructive lusts are given license. Like that's not love winning. So to be ridiculous, like love doesn't win when a, when a married man, uh, again, to be ridiculous, married man has like, is attracted to his neighbor's wife and we don't say love wins when, you know, that neighbor finally seduces his neighbor's wife and begins to destroy that family and his own family. No one in their right mind stands back and goes, love wins. I mean, the guy had the desire, the guy had the compulsion, the guy just, he kind of felt it and went, man, good for him, just roll with it. No one does that, because it's ridiculous. No one, no, one, no one goes, love wins when, like, when hatred lashes out or when anger lashes out. None of us go, hey, man, they felt it, good for you, just roll with it. No one does that. And I'm making it ridiculous for a point. For a point, for a point. We know that there's right and there's wrong. And we, we, but when it comes to certain issues, we go, oh, don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to speak up. And what we do when we don't speak up is we compromise. And what we do when we compromise is we allow people to continue to walk paths that lead to death. When what the church needs to be doing is pointing people to the path that leads to life. So friends, listen, listen. We love people so much, I'm going to tell you the truth. We can't compromise. You see, love doesn't win when fleshly and destructive lusts are given license, can I tell you when love wins? Love wins when people are set free from the prisons of their own fleshly lusts to experience the life that Jesus came to give them. Love wins when, when people are set free from their fleshly lusts to experience life and life more abundantly. Love wins when we have completely surrendered our life to Jesus and Jesus now under the prompting of the Holy Spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit leads me to a place where I can be free from the lusts of my destructive flesh to walk in light, to walk in love, to walk in joy, to walk in purity, to walk in all that God has for me. Galatians chapter five, a lot of us know that the fruit of the spirit, come on, like the fruit of the spirit is, come on, help me church. The fruit of the spirit is, right. In Galatians five, once you go study it, it's really interesting because what he's, what he's doing in Galatians is he's taking the whole section before that is him, and I'll get to it in a second, is him talking about what fleshly lusts look like, you know? The lusts of the flesh are evident in this, 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 this. He names out all these things, right? And then he says this, I want you to, want you to pay attention. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is, and we know this, come on, love and joy and peace and long suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. What'd you throw that in there for, Jesus? Because the fruit of the spirit Everything you're longing for, everything that you crave, everything a human craves in the deepest part of who they are, love. Matter of fact, a lot of people think, a lot of, a lot of commentators say that the fruit of the Spirit is love, period. 
And that love produces within somebody, listen, joy and peace. Come on, people want joy today, don't they? People want peace today, don't they? Well, the spirit of God at work in somebody is going to give you, listen, love and joy and peace. And and the spirit of God is also gonna do something in you in order to help you get to those places. He's gonna teach you this thing called self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. Oh, you're... You wonder, like, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, for us to understand what that means, he goes on to explain it. He says, and self-control, against such thing there is no law. Now watch, here's self-control. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified the flesh. Not celebrate the flesh, not affirm the flesh, not, not, not just let the flesh do what the flesh wants to do, not, 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 not celebrate it, not, not just embrace it. Not, no, he said, crucify it. Kill that thing before it kills you. Destroy that thing before it destroys you. There is right, there is wrong. There's that which leads to life. There's that which leads to death. And Jesus just says, if you continue just to give yourself to your own fleshly desires, if we continue just to celebrate whatever anyone wants to do, friends, I'm telling you, all you're doing is allowing compromise to go and destroy the very people we love. But he is calling the church to stand in the gap, to speak the truth in love so that we can actually help people experience everything that they're longing to experience in Jesus' name. Come on, church, can I get a better amen? Like, I'm standing in the gap. I mean, oh, come on, Chris. Just let people say yes to their desires. Just let people do what they feel, man, come on. It's like, don't you love people? So there's this, there's this thought, like, that goes, you know, I am... I'm just being authentic. I'm just being authentic to what I feel. And first you say, it sounds like, oh yeah, of course, I want you to be authentic to what you feel. But here's the reality is that what you are really longing for is not authenticity what you feel. What you're longing for is integrity. Integrity to what is true, to what is right. Does that make sense? People say, you just need to affirm me. Well, you don't need, if the church would just affirm if the church, but here's the problem. People don't need affirmation from the church. They need transformation from God. And so here's what we do, church, is we don't show up, Bible in hand, what Pastor Chris said, we're gonna go. The Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says, get off your high horse. <laughs> get off your high horse for a second, because guess what? It's so easy to run around and point it out in them. Oh, look what they did wrong, and I can't believe, and they're compromising. And Bible said, "Hey, listen. What you need to do is not run around just shoving God's word down everybody's throat. What you want to do is live a life that's I'm just with people. I'm gonna get in the trenches with people. I'm gonna hear your story. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I want you to know that I love you." I want you to know that I, I genuinely care. And now I've earned the right to be heard. You see, one of the problems in the church today is you haven't, we haven't earned the right to be heard. We're running around just yelling at everybody. So you got churches that run around yelling at everybody. You're wrong and I can't believe it. Oh, the Bible says, you're not gonna, it's like, 
and no one's even listening to you because you're just angry. It's like, I don't want to listen to anger. Like the church just got like a chainsaw. You go run at me a chainsaw, I'm gonna run from you, okay? And that's the church today, some, some churches. Then you got other churches like, it's all good, it's all good, everybody just do what you want. Grace, everybody, just grace on everybody. Remember we talked about this in balance, right? Like, no, we're gonna stand here. I'm gonna love on you so I can earn the right to be heard and I can earn it, man, I just want, and then what I'm gonna do is I, I'm gonna love on you so much that we're gonna actually end up having conversations and in those conversations at the, at the, at the table and at the, in those conversations over, over a meal, man, we're actually gonna talk about truth because you need to hear the truth because the truth, when you know the truth, the truth's gonna actually set you free. And so, Come on, just let them do what they feel. No, I, I love you too much. So I'm gonna have a conversation with you and just tell you, listen to me, there is right and there is wrong. Those who walk in the spirit will experience life. Those who walk in the flesh will continue to find themselves walking down paths that lead to destruction. Man, I love my kids. Come on, you understand that? Those of you who got kids, you know, I love my kids. You, you love your kids. And you love your kids so much, you don't just let them do whatever they want, right? You love your kids so much that you're gonna give them truth. Hey buddy, listen, I know you wanna go play on the freeway, but you can't. You're so mean and you're so restrictive and you got so many rules and why can't you just let me be me and do what I want to do and I want because I love you enough to tell you don't play on the freeway. Dad, I just want I I, I want to touch the fire. I just want it's I kind of want to touch don't touch the fire. So restrictive and you're so mean it's just gonna burn you. Don't do it. Don't see, and I think right now, if we're not careful, church, we're just letting people, we say we love them, prove it. By standing up against the tide of the things that are destroying them. Does that make sense? And I'm not telling you again, don't Bible bash, love. And have conversations with people. Be the church that people just get all confused by. You're just loving me so much, but you're also telling me this, but you keep loving me and I come and I get, except, but you also, this is what, it's what Jesus did with people, right? The town prostitute comes and throws herself at the feet of Jesus, why? I mean, she's a prostitute, everyone knew. That girl, she got some issues, but she knew that Jesus would love her and accept her and, and he would be, that she knew, so she comes to Jesus. He carried himself in that way. And, and, and we need to as well, church. We need to as well. So church, we cannot compromise. We cannot affirm all things. We cannot celebrate all things and we, because we just love people too much. And if we compromise, we end up affirming what brings death and actually lose the power to impart life. And what the church and what, what, what our world needs right now is a church that's willing to stand up and shine light and to shine truth and, and to point the way that leads to life. The world needs a whole lot of grace, amen? Like, we're here for you. We're in the trenches. Come on. We're going to give you room to get this figured out. We're not going to force. But they also need a whole lot of truth. A lot of grace, but they need a lot of truth. And that truth comes from the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. The word of God. The word of God. 
this edits me, I don't edit this. I submit my life to God. Why? Because he knows how this works. Everybody listen. God created life. He's like, I know how this works. I know how marriage works. I know how sexuality works. I know how money works. God says, I know, I know, I know how gender works. I know, God says, I know how it all works. And I know that there's struggles and I know that there's, but here's what I, can I just lead you, please come on to life. And not only am I gonna tell it to you, Jesus would say, I'm also gonna empower you to, to live in that which I tell you. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna walk with you. God wants you to experience life so much that he, he gives you truth and then he empowers you to walk in the truth by his spirit. He gives you this thing called the church, the body of Christ, that, man, you struggle with some of that old stuff and you struggle with some of these things that are inside you and you feel like that are just such a part of your flesh that you got a, you got a community of people that come around you and go, I know you, it's a struggle, I get it. Maybe I don't get it because I've never been there, but listen, I'll walk with you in it. I'll care for you in it and let's keep walking toward, toward life together. All right, so... Maybe you feel the current at work. Maybe you feel the current with friends. Maybe you feel the current in media. Maybe you feel the current. But can I, can I talk to you about one more? Come on, would you stand your feet with me? What about, as we close, what about the current that's inside of us? Because, man, I, there's, there's a pull inside of me towards some things that, that I know aren't right. It's called what, Temptation. Temptation, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's like the, the Bible calls it, like the enemy tries to lure us away. Do you know why a fish follows a lure? Because it looks good. Like, oh, yeah, I'm full of that. That looks good. Okay, yeah, good. But it got hooks all up in it. And some of us allowed ourselves, like, through, through to, to kind of follow some intents of our heart, like, that we thought looked good, but we knew it was wrong. And what you're discovering is there's some hooks in it. Some of us right now, we find ourselves, you know, we're, we're compromising. We're, we're here, we're in church, we're in the right spot, but, but we're compromising. We got, we find ourselves going to websites that we knew we, we know we shouldn't go to. We're, we're acting a certain way at work that we, gosh, that just, we know we shouldn't be. And it's just not who God's created us to be. We know God's got more, but we keep compromising. And in that compromise, there's, there's always death. It's always destroying some part of your soul, some part of your life. It always will produce death. Maybe in the, in the things that we're saying, the things that we say to our, our spouse, the things that we say to our kids, we're just compromising. Like, come on, God goes, God goes no, that's not you. You're better than that. I got more for you. I got more for you. I got more for you, God. I got more for you. I got so much more for you. Like, now watch, watch. What happens is God goes, come on, I got more for you, church. I got more for you, individual. There's more life and more peace and more joy. There's more for you. But the enemy goes, goes, comes to you and goes, no, no, no. He's going to try to convince you that the life and the peace and the joy and everything that you desire is actually found in compromise, and it's not. And that compromise is going to overpromise and underdeliver every time. It's gonna lead you down roads you wish you'd never walk down, do things you wish you'd never do, say things you wish you'd never say. It always costs more. And so today, here's what I'm asking you, is that you would just say, God, from here on, in this moment, I believe you've got more for me, and therefore, God, I wanna let go of everything that's holding on to me. The Bible says to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us, that we would run the race that he's put in front of us. And so, come on. David prayed it all the time. Lord, search me. Try me, know me, see if there's any wicked way in me. 
Teach me to walk in the way everlasting. And so God, search us, try us, know us. I know you've got more. He's not done with you yet, church. Come on, he's not done. He's not done. He's not done. Hey, God's not done with California yet. God's not done with your family yet. He's not done. He's not done with your kids yet. He's not done with your marriage yet. God's not done with you yet. But if you're going to see everything God wants to do, you got to let go of the things you've been holding on to. Man, compromise is the enemy's tool. And today, do not let the enemy have a foothold. Set yourself free to live in everything he's got for you. Come on, church, amen? Come on, let's worship together. He's not done with you yet. Let's sing it out. Let's sing it out.